We'll take your Bibles this morning and turn back to the book of Genesis. We've been in the book of Genesis now. And as you're turning there, I remind you that next week starts what we call our summer series. Four different men from our church will be preaching, one each week through the month of July. And uh, I'm excited about this and excited what God is going to do next Sunday morning. Uh, Carl Foyt will be bringing the word of God to us. So um, that'll be next Sunday. Genesis chapter 21 this morning as we continue our series calling, calling, called Seeing Our Savior, Observing Jesus in the Old Testament. And, uh, you know, when we do baby dedications, we always give out the book to parents called the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you're a grandparent and you have grandkids, this is the one thing that for sure you ought to give to your family for them to begin reading. And uh, in the very preface of that book, there is about the third page, this introduction to the book. And I want to read the introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible. Listen to what it says. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It is an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is the baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see this beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait. Our story starts where all good stories start, right at the beginning. And we've spent the last three weeks looking at the beginning of that story in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And finally, we're going to move on, and uh, we're going to look at the, the story of Isaac today and his father Abraham. And before we do that, though, I want to give you a few principles as we begin to look at the stories, because we'll do one today, we'll stop for our summer series, and then we'll pick it up again in the month of August by preaching some of these stories from the Old Testament and see how we see Jesus in these stories. But as we begin to look at these stories, I want to remind you of just a couple of things that we need to think about as we're reading through these Old Testament stories. 
And first of all, we need to keep God, not man, in the foreground. God needs to be at the forefront of these stories as you read the Word of God. It's not really about man. It's about what God is doing in man's life. Remember, because the Bible is the story of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and their redemptive work. As we shared with you the first week, before the foundations of this world, God had already foreordained. God had already looked ahead, and He knew the redemption story. And the whole Bible is built around the redemption story. All of creation was moving towards the redemption story. It was the stage on which redemption would be played out. So we always need to read the stories keeping God. And then secondly, we need to distinguish Christian morality from mere moralism by realizing that we need Jesus' grace to obey any moral requirements and his forgiveness when we fail. Listen, the only way that we come to salvation is through Jesus Christ. That's called justification. The only way we continue that justification and working on our sanctification is the cross. We just sang about it. It's all about the cross. Every day it's going back and revisiting the cross because we need it. These stories in the Bible, all of them from Genesis to Exodus, point to Christ and his grace And even all of them show you the failure. In just a moment, we're going to get into Genesis Genesis chapter 21. But as I was reading this week the book of Genesis to prepare again for this, I I looked, and I I have to go back and look at this because it, it reminds me. In Genesis chapter 20, here we have Abraham and Sarah in their 80s. And she must have been beautiful, even at this point, something to behold. And they're traveling, and they come to a city where Abimelech is king, and he has a lot of wives. And so what does Abraham do? He lies. He said, listen, if the king wants you, don't say you're my wife. Liable to kill me for that. And this isn't the first time he's done this. This is the second time. This is a pattern in his life. He lies about this. And so the king brings Sarah, and before he would sleep with her, God comes to the king in a dream, and he says, don't you touch that woman. That is someone else's wife. That is Abraham's wife. Now let me remind you that Abraham is going to be what? The father. He's a father. God's promised him, listen, that through you, the lineage of Jesus is going to come. You're the father of the nation of Israel. But yet he has this problem and he lies. But listen, read with me verse 7 of chapter 20. And listen to what it says. Now then return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return here, know that you shall surely die, you and all of yours. Here's Abraham. He's lied. And the king's ready to take his wife into his harem. And the God comes in this dream. And what does God say? I want you to go back, take him back, and I want you to realize that man will pray for you. Now, what sin has he just done? Lied. You know, here's the reality. Every one of us who sit in, the, in these uh, chairs today, we struggle with sin. We fail. But listen, don't. Satan beats you up with your failures. God can still use you. Follow me around for a day. I'm a failure. 
But the reality is God still uses us. And that's what this whole book is about. God uses failures. Why? Not because of me, because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And it was, when I read that this week, man, I sat there and I thought, that's amazing. God said, take his wife back because what? He'll pray for you. And again, we see it's about the grace of God. Even when we fail, it's about God's forgiveness. And so look for those illustrations that show grace and show the forgiveness of God. And we see this over and over in the life of Abraham. And so the third thing is relate every story to the overarching plan of redemption. And we're going to see that this morning as we go through the life of Isaac. So always as you're reading, say, how does redemption, how do we see redemption in this? And look for Jesus when studying Jesus' people. When you're studying the people of Israel, you're going to see. You're going to see different opportunities to see Jesus in their lives. And then find the original purpose for the original audience. When God was speaking to them, what was he really saying to that original audience? And so just some things for you to think about as we go through these stories. Let's pray, and then we're going to look here into the, the life of Isaac starting in chapter 21 of Genesis. Father, as we come this morning, we are so thankful for today. We are thankful for the opportunity to stand up and share the word of God. And Lord, I want to pray this morning for Pastor John as he's up at his home church preaching again today, that you would use him right now in a powerful way in that church. And Lord, we pray for that church. We pray as they're seeking a pastor, Lord, that you would provide the right man for them. Father, I, I think of the different churches in the area. I think of the Brethren in Christ Church here in town and, and, and pray for the pastor there as he right now is preaching this morning. I pray for LCBC this morning. And uh, Lord, just use that ministry in a tremendous way, Father, this morning. Lord, thank you for the many churches here in Elizabethtown that preach the word of God. And I pray for each of those churches today that, Lord, your power might be seen in the pulpits as the different pastors stand up throughout E-Town today to proclaim the word. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for its power. Thank you, Lord, that you use failures. Thank you, Lord, that no matter what is our past, no matter what we've done, Lord, that you desire to cleanse us, you desire to forgive us, and you desire to use us. Lord, help us. Help us that to remind us not to be so hard on each other sometimes. When we see a brother who's been fallen or overtaken in a sin, that, Lord, we pray for them, but, Lord, we... we are reminded that because of your grace that that brother or sister who is struggling still can be used of you in a mighty way. We thank you for that. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. I'm going to start here and read to you the first seven verses of Genesis chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, 
whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would have nursed children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. We just simply put this, the miraculous birth. And uh, God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of the nation of Israel. And to be the father, you have to have what? Children. And after that promise, it, children weren't coming along. So you knew the story. He took it into his own hands and with Hagar, the handmaiden, and, and had a son by her who would cause a lot of problems for Isaac in this chapter in verse 9, you will see. And, but... Finally, in their old age, in fact, <clears throat> the Bible says it's interesting. We won't turn there this morning, but if you go to Romans chapter 4, verse 19, it says this. It says, their bodies were dead. Their bodies were dead. Other words, for Abraham and Sarah, their bodies were dead. There was no way that they could produce a child on their own. No way could that happen. And so... But I want to tell you that God is all about bringing life from death. That's what he's all about. That's what salvation is about. We're dead in our trespasses and sin, and God miraculously saves us and changes us and gives us life. That's the business that God is in. It's exciting to hear 15 kids, 20 kids this week have come to Christ through our ministry. That's about bringing life from death. That's what Jesus is all about. So here is a perfect picture of the work of him. Abraham is 100, Sarah is 90, and God, through the power of the Spirit, places within her a child. Listen to this. It says, And your brother, like Isaac, are children of promise. This is Galatians 4.28. But at that time, he who was born according to the flesh, Ishmael, persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. See, Ishmael was of the flesh, but Isaac, Isaac would be of the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God who worked in the body of Sarah here to bring forth this child. Isaac truly was born of the Spirit. It was the work of God that allowed this 91-year-old woman to have a child. But listen to what Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through or by the Holy Spirit. So we begin to see, as we begin to look at the Isaac's life right from the beginning, this, in a sense, typology of Jesus, the parallel of these two people. Isaac was born of the Spirit, and so was Jesus. Miraculous birth of Isaac, the miraculous birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The second thing I want you to see this morning is the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the promised son. So go to Genesis chapter 22. 
the sacrifice of the promised son. And again, you, you know this story. Many of you who've gone to Sunday school, you've heard these stories. But let me again read this. Genesis chapter 22. And after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering as one of, on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to, his young, to the young, his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Look at the faith there. We're going to go and worship, and we're going to come back again. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. You ought to underline that. And he took his hand and the fire and the knife so that it went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, and he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And you know the rest of the story. You know what happens. You know, they get to the mountain and he lays Isaac on the altar and he's ready to sacrifice. And all of a sudden is a lamb caught in the thicket. So again, there are several parallels. You'll notice, first of all, it says, Isaac, whom Abraham loved. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. He loved him. He was to be the sacrifice there on Mount Moriah. And it's interesting, this Mount Moriah is the same area, the same range of mountains where 4,000 years later, Jesus Christ would hang on the cross. Where Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb for you and me. It's the same mountain range. It's within, they think within miles of where Jesus died. is the same place where Isaac was laid on the altar. Abraham's love for Isaac, it's mentioned. In fact, this is the first time in the Bible the word love is mentioned. And we realize also, when we go back and we think this is a picture of God's love for his son. Abraham is, the sense, as we read, is the picture of God. Isaac, the picture of Jesus here. And it says that I, Abraham loved his son. And remember, remember at Jesus' baptism when God appears and he says, This is my what? Beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because of his obedience, he was pleased. But he was his beloved son. And here, too, this is his beloved son. His only son. Or his, his only son, in, in a sense, by Sarah. And the one promised by God. Um, Isaac, I said to underline, Isaac carried the wood. And what was it? The wooden cross that Jesus carried for you and for me. Isaac takes the place of the lamb, but Jesus became the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. 
It's interesting, Mariah, it's interesting that name means this. Foreseen by Jehovah. That's what it means. Foreseen by Jehovah. Foreseen by the Lord. Other words, listen, again, nothing happens that God's not aware of. We know, we know before the foundations of the world, God had put this story into place. And again, in a sense, what it's saying here, God foresaw this. God knew what was going to happen here on Mount Moriah. And he knew, in a sense, it was going to foreshadow of what was going to happen here 4,000 years later when God would send his beloved son to die on Calvary for your sin and my sin. And again, this is a picture a foreshadow, a type of what is yet to come. Makes the story live a whole lot more. Other, Oh, well, that's an interesting story. But it makes the story really come to life when you realize it's pointing towards what's going to happen 4,000 years later. The next time we meet Abraham is some probably 30 to 40 years later after this event. Sarah dies in chapter 23. But in chapter 24, we talk about the servant sent to prepare the bride. Abraham is now in his old age, and he knows that he's about ready to pass from this earth, and he wants to make sure that his son has a bride. He wants to make sure that his son is taken care of. And so he's going to send a servant to find a bride. Let's pick it up there in chapter 24. Now Abraham was old, about 140 years old, well advanced in years. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servants, the oldest of his household, who had change of all that he had. Put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord that God of heaven and God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom we dwell, but will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to his land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which he came? So they're having this conversation. He says, I, I want you to make an oath. I want you to swear to me that you'll go and find my um, Isaac a wife. I don't want it from the Canaanites in this land. I want it from our homeland. I want you to make that trip of 450 miles to find a wife. And the servant says, well, listen, what if, just what if by chance she doesn't want to come back? Shouldn't I come back and get Isaac? I mean, you know, think about this. He's going to travel 450 miles. He's going to find a lady on the street and say, hey, listen, my master is looking for a wife, so I'd like to take you 450 miles back. You're going to meet him and marry him. How does that sound? Pretty interesting. I mean, think about that. I mean, would you let your daughter? Somebody showed up today and said, hey, listen, my, my son lives down in Tennessee, and uh, he needs a wife, so I'd like to take your daughter to marry him. Dads, what would you say? First of all, it's Tennessee. No way, right? <laughs> but no, that's literally what happened here. And, and he says, no, listen, I, I don't want you to take him. Abraham said to him, see 
it to it that you do not take my son back. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offering, I'll give this land. He'll send his angels before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning the matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choices, gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Naor. And he made the camels kneel down beside the city by the well of the water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord of my master Abraham, grant me success today. Show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, Please let down your jar, then I may drink, and you shall say, Drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one who you have appointed for your servants, Isaac. But this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love of my master. Here we have the master, one of his helpers, in a sense, representing, I think, the Holy Spirit. Um, he goes and does the work of the Father. He doesn't go and talk about himself. He goes and what? He talks about the Father, and he talks about the Son, and he goes to find a bride. So, again, this is the next mention of Isaac after he was um, sacrificed on Mount Moriah. Uh, we find Abraham, he's concerned for Isaac, he needs a bride, and this is the clear picture of God the Father's heart after the sacrifice of his son. This is, um, we think about Jesus' death, his resurrection, and then what happened? Jesus ascended into heaven and he sent who? The Holy Spirit to prepare who? The bride. We are the bride of Christ. He sent him to prepare, to find the bride. We are the bride of Christ, the church. Not just Mount Calvary Church, but the universal church. You know, we saw those pictures up here of the Philippines and the Netherlands, and we think that's the church. That's all of the church. And he sent him to find a bride. And he didn't talk about himself. He talked about Abraham. He talked about Isaac. And I think it's interesting here, and in, in what is he prayed to the Lord? He says, listen, I'm going to watch, and, the, and the, these women come out here at the end of the day, and they're getting water. He said, I'm, I want the one who says, here, will you have something to drink and also will give water to my camels? Now, a camel drinks about five gallons of water at a time. So when you go back to the beginning of the story, it says when the servant left, he took how many people? Himself and ten. So there was possibly, what, 10 camels. That's 50 gallons of water. So that means, I mean, that was no little task for Rebecca, wasn't it? 
That was a pretty big task to draw 50 gallons of water from the well. So it's interesting that he wanted somebody who was what? A good helpmate. Somebody who was going to come alongside and help Isaac. So he said, listen, if she's willing to you know, feed the camels, she'll be willing to cut the grass and plant the garden and be that Proverbs 31 woman, you know. I mean, the reality of it is, in a sense, it's, a, it's somewhat of a, a test. And, and he's looking. And the servant, in this, it's this servant here, it's, he's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit. See, in John 16, 13, and 14, it says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall take mine and shall disclose it to you. It says the Holy Spirit, when he comes, it's not about him. It's about God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. And this servant came telling the story of Abraham and of Isaac. Look, in verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Malachi, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water, and water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. He not only got a, a worker, he got a good-looking wife too, didn't he? And when you, get the, when you get the two together, that's excellent. He says, whom no man has known. She was pure. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little drink uh, from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water. She drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. So exactly what he had prayed for happened. A picture of the Holy Spirit. And then the last here, the marriage of the Son. We have seen how Isaac was offered on Mount Moriah. He also noted how the um, we, this is the next time that he is mentioned here in the story. Um, and so it com clearly continues the picture, the typology of Jesus Christ, and now his bride in his return. And let's look what happens here. He says, When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring, weighing half shekel, two bracelets for her arms, weighing ten gold shekels, and said, Please tell me, whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, a son of Malach, whom she bore to Naar. She added, we have plenty of both straw and food, um, uh, fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his knee and worshipped. Um, and so he begins to share with Rebecca and begins to leave the money. And Rebecca's response was this, I will go. I will go. By faith, she went. And in fact, we see three things about Rebecca here. First of all, 
Rebecca prepared herself. Rebecca prepared herself, the Bible says. It says that she prepared herself by covering her face with her veil. And so immediately she covered her face and she realized, that, listen, I'm, I need, I'm set apart for this man and I'm, I'm preparing myself for that man. And I'm, I'm going to keep myself, I'm going to prepare myself. And then the second thing is um, we see that Isaac took Rebecca back home. She made that trip, 450 miles, and it must have taken quite a few days. And what do you think? Stop and think for a moment. What do you think this servant talked about on that trip? Just imagine a minute. What do, what do you think, as they ride the camels together, what do you think that this servant talked about to Rebecca? How great Isaac was. Hey, I, I want to tell you the story. I, I want to tell you about his father, Abraham, how God called him, and how by faith he stepped out and he left his home country. And, and I want to tell you, he's not a perfect man. You know, he's made some mistakes. He, man, he did these things along the way. But God blessed him. And even when we read scripture just a moment ago, when we see when he was an old man, he talked about the blessings of God. And listen, even in our life, when we look back on our life and we see the difficulties and we see the sin, we can still stand and say, wow, God, you've blessed me. You've blessed me so greatly, God. And so he talked to her about Abraham, and he said, and then he had Isaac, and he said, let me tell you the story of Isaac when he was just a child, how he, by faith, was willing to be the sacrifice, but they served such a great God that he provided for them. And he, I'm sure that whole place, he began to tell her the story of Abraham and Isaac. And what do you think her heart did? They've never met. But she hears these things, and she hears the stories. And her heart, I'm sure, began to what? Turn toward Isaac and his family. As she listened to those stories, she left her family behind. She left everything she had known in her life to take a step of faith to go back home to meet this man she'd never met and to be his wife. Again, it's a great picture. These three events foreshadow the meeting of Jesus. Revelation 19.7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, we have given her to wear. The Bible says in John 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will what? I'll come again someday. See, we're, we're Rebecca Church in this story. We're Rebecca. Where do, where do we find ourselves here? How, how do we live out this text? And See, we are Rebecca. 
We are to separate ourselves. Just like she was willing to separate ourselves, she was willing to put her faith in this. That's the same thing. Listen, Jesus says, come out from among you them. Separate yourself from this world. Separate yourself from your sin. And what? By faith, follow me. Jesus is looking for a pure church. And so today, we need to be looking at our lives and realize as we go along this journey of faith that sometimes we're going to fail, but because of his grace, we can have forgiveness. But he wants us to be that church that separates ourselves. And we've talked about this. We don't need to isolate ourselves from the world. We just need to separate ourselves from the world and go into the world and share the gospel of Christ. But that's what God's looking for. He's looking for us to be different than the world. People ought to look at you and say, you're different. You're not out there doing the same things. You handle things differently. That's what it means. That's what it means. That, listen, you know, you as a Christian should be separate. You should be living a life that's different from the world. You ought to think differently. You ought to act differently. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. But not only that, she was willing to commit herself without even seeing Isaac commit the rest of her life to him. And you know, it's the same thing Jesus is asking of us. We've never seen Jesus, have we? Now we have his word and we have his story here. And as you read this story, as you read this story, you know what it should do? I think it should do the same thing that I think Rebecca did on that trip. It should make that heart palpitate. Wow, God. Wow, you did this for me. God, you, you loved me so much and you constantly forgive me. And God, you do these things for me, and you died on the cross for me, and you've justified me. You're in the process of sanctifying me. You've wrapped me in your righteousness. And as I read these things over and over and over again, it should make me fall in love. And the natural reaction of falling in love with Jesus is one of what? Serve him and minister to him. Listen, you know, don't serve Jesus out of guilt. Serve him out of love for what he's done. See, that's what Rebecca did. She, she had never seen him. We've never seen Jesus, but we have his book that tells us all the great things that he and the Father have done. And here, here's the thing today. You know what? If you don't sense that love today, maybe it's because you're not reading. Because the more I read this and the more I get into this, the more I'm amazed, the more when I see my life, and I look at what Jesus does and how he still cares for me and loves me. It does. It makes me love him more. And I've never seen him. I've only what? Heard about him. And so here's the thing. We as the church, well, we separate like Rebecca was willing to separate. We commit ourselves to a life of living for Jesus. A great story, Abraham and Isaac. But what is it? It's all about seeing our Savior 
in the Old Testament. You could just read that story and say, wow, that's, a, that's just a phenomenal story. But when you really dig into it and you begin to see that it's a foreshadow, it's a typology of God the Father and God the Son and you and me as the church. That's what it's all about. Let's bow our heads with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Will you be like Rebecca today? Will you be that picture of the church? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior at the moment of salvation. The Bible says you are baptized into the church, into the body of Christ. And listen, today, will you be like Rebecca? Will you separate yourself from this world, the thoughts of this world and the ways of this world? Will you live differently at work, at home? And then will you commit yourself Will you commit yourself? I'm talking about, I mean, this was a 100% commitment that she made. She left everything behind to follow the, the Spirit, in a sense, the Master, the Holy Spirit. She left everything behind. She made this commitment 100%. She gave it all. And that's what Jesus is, wants us to do. He wants to say, listen, I'm willing to give all for you as your bride, Jesus, you're coming back for us someday. I'm willing to do it all for you. Or uh, is your commitment some to the world and some to Jesus? Jesus is saying, listen, I I'm looking for all of it. That's what Rebecca did. What are you holding on to today? What aren't you willing to turn over to God? What aren't you willing to turn over and say, here, I'm just going to give this to you, Jesus? Or are there certain parts of your life that you want to hold on to instead of that 100% commitment? I'm just willing to put it in the past and I'm willing to move on with you. That's what God is looking for. Father, thank you for your word today. I pray, first of all, if there would be one person here that does not know Jesus, before they leave this building today, that they might come and see me or one of the guys at the door and that, Lord, before they leave here, that they would know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Savior. That they'd be willing, like Rebecca, to make that commitment to accept the finished work of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection, and put their faith in that and that alone to take them to heaven. And then, Lord, as the blood-washed church. May we ask ourselves, are we separating ourselves from this world? And are we 100% committed to Jesus, our husband? Lord, I pray that we'd read your word to see you so that our heart would serve you. We wouldn't serve you out of guilt. We would serve you out of amazing love and grace. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you leave here today, I want to remind you of this. As we serve Jesus as his church, let's not do it out of guilt. Let's not do it because we have to. Let's do it because he loves us.
I don't help Virginia around the house because I have to. I don't do it because she asked me to. You know why I do it? Because I love her. I love her so much. It's the same thing for Jesus. You know what? Let's not serve him out of guilt. Let's not do it because we have to. Let's do it because we love him so much. Where are you going to learn to love him? Tell me, where are you going to learn to love him? In the Word. Have a great week as you walk in the Word.